American woman. Very good, Derek. Stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> we should just start every podcast by uh, ad-libbing. Done. You can put it in as a post-credit sequence. I just started recording that, Derek. Oh, so speaking of which. That might go in, yeah. What is the, were there two post-credits in Venom? Oh, I haven't seen I, I did not stick around to see. That movie was terrible. You, I'm recording. Stick, We've got to start. Did you stick around long enough for, to see Woody Harrelson with his funny red oh, hair? I know. I heard about it, though. <laughs> hey, this is the Real Good Podcast. This episode is called Good Times at the Cinema? Question mark. And that's because we'll be talking about Drew Goddard's bad... <laughs> Drew Goddard's bad times at the El Royale. Bad times seeing that title? Oh, yeah. yeah. Real bad time. With me is Blake Minibar Curtis... Yep, and Derek Little Shampoo Bottles Armstrong. Uh, I wanted to be Derek Nevada Armstrong, and he could have been Blake Los- uh, California. California Curtis. I don't put too much thought into these. That's probably <laughs> that's a much cleverer. You know, I'm self conscious about my mini bar. <laughs> hey, here's a short synopsis we found at Bad Times at the El Royale that we found on the internet. I found on the internet. Bad Times at the. Oh, it's, uh, I didn't even check. It just says the title at the start of the synopsis. Seven strangers, each with a secret to bury, meet at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one fateful night, everyone will have one last shot at redemption. I thought this movie was shit, and I can't believe you gave it eight out of ten. Okay, so as I got further away from it, I was like, seven... Six, five, four, six. No, I, I, I would, I would go in at a solid seven. Look, I enjoyed this film as a throwback to all those films that we got in the five to ten years after Pulp Fiction. It sucks. Some of which, <laughs> some of which were good. Oh, okay. Na- name one good one that isn't Lockstock uh, or another Tarantino movie. Uh, I was well. I, I think of Out of Sight as being part of that tradition, sort of. Elmore Leonard is part of, is all wrapped up in okay, that and yeah, all that that's stuff. Yeah, that's one that's sort of in it. Well, okay, so here's here's I've I've come to a real a new realization about why I might appreciate this film, and it's because it actually is in conversation with Drew Goddard's first film, uh, The Cabin in the Woods, which is a total meta exercise where there's literally um, well, spoilers for Cabin in the Woods if you haven't seen it, but there's and literally Royale, maybe. Literally, well, yeah, we already know we're spoiling El Real. There's um, literally a control room of people programming various spooks and monsters to come after people in a haunted house setting. It's an awesome film. You it it is really, really fun. Um, I decided that this film, not quite as um, me- in, in quite as meta a way or intentional a way, was doing sort of the same thing in, in mashing these to get these characters together and kind of doing a little bit of a deconstruction of this type of Was it a deconstruction? I kept no, waiting for Goddard to present something interesting, it, like some sort of fresh twist or, you know, deconstruction like he did with Cabin in the Woods. And I think yeah. ultimately it just played out like a dull entry mm. on a, in a genre that largely peaked, peaked and like sort of peaked it out within a few years I think after you're the recent right, Pulp Fiction. Except for the following thing. That hotel is this kind of almost intentionally artificial, beautiful object. Wouldn't you agree that that is like a beautiful hotel with its, with its line dividing the two states and, and all of its nicely appointed uh, interior design and everything? I, I decided, as I was watching it and saying, this film, this, this hotel would still have plenty of guests because it's beautiful looking. That's a little bit looking back from the 21st century where we prize all these uh, period designs. But it's also like, 
this is an artificial exercise kind of similar to Cabin in the Woods where these people are all being plunked down into this environment and instead of running away from a merman or other you know various uh, monsters that come out of this kind of uh, slot machine of various monsters in that film to use the, a term from this film with a slot machine they're they're dealing with these standard crime ensemble tropes like the the bag of money and the person with the secret past and the person who's not <laughs> Conveying their identity correctly, you know. But then there was no sort of deconstruction like there was in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, and I felt like the no. it, there was something fundamentally basic about the writing from the premise to the characters to the dialogue. And I felt like it was film school student stuff or even high school student right. stuff. And you could imagine the pitch being like, you know, there's a priest and he's not really a priest. And there's like a, you know, vacuum salesman, but he's not really a vacuum salesman. And there's a soul singer and there's, you know, uh, a guy that's like Charles Manson. It's like, and we'll throw them all together in this rainy night and they're going to get to sorts of wacky stuff. And at the end, it all burns down. It's like, man, but to t- stop to bring making in the, films. To bring in the mm. extra textual, though, um, knowing what Drew Goddard made when he made Cabin in the Woods, doesn't that make you feel like there's an intentionality to to some of it that you can't dismiss? I, I thought there might be for a while, but then nothing ever came along to back up that it wasn't a tired... Like, that's the thing. I think you can't judge this movie on potentially interesting things that it might have if it doesn't have them. Yeah, well, fair enough. Uh, Blake, I don't think we've even heard your, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not made it to be made. your perspective yet. What's no, up? I'm 100% with John on this. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... It was. It's really long too. It had. Me, it, it had me. <laughs> oh, is it? It's as long as First Men. <laughs> I was invested at the start. I was quite, you know, looking forward to watching it. I thought it would be good. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, like what, what, what in what was the point of having it div- like the state divide? What it, that never served any purpose throughout. It was the being film. cute. Cool. Well, not good <laughs> enough. That really. whole film was being cute. <laughs> and uh, then, then after, sorry, Blake, you finished. Yeah, yeah and it, yeah, it was. I really wanted it to be good, and I thought it. I thought like the cast was good, and I thought Jeff Bridges was going to do something. Was started doing interesting things when he played a character, that, you know, that had Alzheimer's or dementia or was starting to lose his mind. And and some of it looked beautiful, like when you saw um, them robbing the bank and they were wearing the masks, and the mountain was in the background. And it was snowing. It was just like, oh, it looks nice, and it. Made me think that, yeah, maybe it's like he might have had some intentions in there, but it was just a confusing mess. And there was, unlike Cabin in the Woods, which you had a puppet pulling the strings, there was no one pulling the strings behind this. So it was just, what are the chances that all these people came to the hotel at the exact same time? And it just felt like it was stealing Cabin in the Woods thing with the mirror about, you know, looking through a mirror and watching someone, which is a direct thing that was in Cabin in the Woods. And so it's just, I don't know. It, it, well, it's it felt like a movie I've seen heaps and haven't enjoyed. Well, it, to me, it's so artificial in some of its constructs that the only conclusion is that it is intentional. Now, whether you think there was a successful exploration of that, of those tropes and those, and you know. How is that the only conclusion? Like the other conclusion that could be it's a shitty film. Mm. Like, and he just... Like you'd hope the air that like, but this guy's made one awesome film, and like, but and then he, there were other creative influences in Cabin in the Woods as well. And okay, then like, so we're de- <laughs> we're dealing we're living in an era where there are homages to various other um, eras of filmmaking, right? So like Stranger Things, for example, yeah. is basically trying to Most be modernism. a nineteen eighties horror film or horror TV series in this case, 
I think this is in the same spirit of that, where it is trying to make a straightforward version of something that was popular, if not always successful, in the late 1990s, and not be ironic about it, and not constantly be winking at the camera and parodying it and saying, I'm just going to give you this straightforward version of this thing, but the very fact that it is so straightforward and it is such a faithful version of this is kind of the takeaway of it. it and, and whether that's... Uh, a useful takeaway or a useful reason to make a film is certainly debatable. But I think also those that that sort of misses the point of those films it's ripping off because those films were references, often references to older films. Like Pulp Fiction was, you know, took its influences from all all sorts of, you know, different elements sure. of film history: French New Wave, Spaghetti Western, and then this film was just this plodding. You know, the fact that it didn't wink at the audience almost missed the point of the films it was trying to homage. And on yeah. top of that, the, it, I didn't think it was straightforward either because you would go with a character, you'd get to a point and then you'd go back and then you'd meet a new character. And well, you'd see it doesn't mean it can't be convoluted just because it's straightforward. But what I but mean I, is it's not, it's not trying to show you how smart it is and it's not trying to make you an accomplice as the audience and say, look at how dumb these tropes are. Let's laugh at them. It's not trying to do that. It is earnest. And I think, So what is right, it trying yeah. to do? Um, it's trying to do what Stranger Things does, but just not the 80s, the 90s. It's trying to take the 1990s and give us what looks like it could have been freeze-dried in 1997 and returned to us th- right now. I think the thing about Stranger Films is it knows it's on homage, and there is that audience engagement with Stranger Films because there's that sense of nostalgia. And this just felt like a shitty movie from the 90s. Like There, there wasn't that sense of nostalgia because the films it was emulating they had that sense of nostalgia for films past. So this was this sort of like weird nostalgia for crappy films that were filled That's with nostalgia. That's kind of like what the era we live in, isn't it? Where, I mean, we're just trying to constantly relive these other times. Like, and I think the reason why it might be more effective for me is when, I, when Pulp Fiction came out, I was 21 years old. Um, it caught me right at the moment of my cinematic awakening and basically said, here's this to blow your mind. Here's what cinema can do. And so I gave the benefit of the doubt to a lot of the films that came out in the 10 years after that because I liked any little bit of the coattails of Pulp Fiction to grasp onto that I could. Now, looking back in retrospect, those films don't hold a great fondness for me, but the potential of those films still excites me somewhere deep in my soul as a thing that someone could do and someone could do well. And I think this isn't that version of that film that I would want, like an ideal successor to something like Pulp Fiction. And that's really played out, honestly. You can't really do that anymore. But I liked the fact that it was just saying, look, you haven't gotten a film like this in a while. I'm going to remind you of what watching the film like this was like. And even if it's not always successful, it's going to, it, it touched me. Uh, touched me. That sounds like I, I was moved by it, but it, it reached out it to me. Touched him in his cinema awakening. <laughs> it made me, I cried at the ending when the guy wanted his absolution from the priest. No, I didn't. But um, but it, it it reminded me of that era when I felt like uh, chronology was could be made of anything you wanted to. When it was clever to separate the, the story into chapter headings. When you didn't know who's going to die. You didn't know how they were going to die. When you know the bag of money could end up in anybody's hands you know it just but doesn't that make you just like for me that just frustrates me because it's just it's just a cheap knockoff of something that i loved and that's essentially what i don't like about film at the moment is when they're just attempting to just 
be sweatshot filmmaking and let's just make money off a far better successful version of what this film was. Like they do, like that's why it frustrates me that there's you know even more Star Wars and that there's you know this remake of Pulp Fiction and let's make another thousand superhero films. Doesn't it just frustrate you that it's just like it? Yes, you're right. I understand that 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 nostalgia that you're talking about, but the fact that it never lives up to its potential just makes me be like. You're not worth being made then, and you're not worth my time, and you know you're just a cheap whore who's uh, tr- <coughs> trying to make me feel like my cinema awakening of the first time. Are you calling me a cheap whore, Blake? I would never call you a cheap. <laughs> I'm calling you a cheap whore. <laughs> oh, that's okay though. You're my Uncle John. So, <laughs> and like I wanted to like this <clears throat> film, and like you know I did like it at the start, but it just felt like that it was just it was playing the same note. Like of, of God, why was it so long? Going back and doing it again <laughs> it and again, so and it w- and it did. It did seem to want to say something when it was like you know, a priest and it looked like hell all around and the kids confessing and and then that all that stuff with Vietnam that just looked like a Wait, platoon. I, I felt like there like came a point about two thirds of the way through, perhaps when Chris Hemsworth rocked up and made his big entrance. Not the flashbacks with him, but no. when he's finally rocked up at the hotel. Yeah, when the film also loses, apart from I think of any purpose, its sense of humor, which wasn't a particularly strong part of the film to begin with. Right. But when it loses it, there's this sort of inappropriate, like morbid atmosphere to the end of the film. Mm. And I think it doesn't suit what came before it. And the, the whole the whole last third is kind of really grim. And I think a huge part of what sort of, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with this film, but it really doesn't stick the landing at all. Do you know what I would have thought would have been a great reveal with the clerk at the end? Because you know, throughout the whole film, they're teasing the fact that he's done all these bad things and he needs absolution. And we know that he's a heroin addict, but that's certainly not what he's talking about. And we know that he spied on people under orders for management through the video cameras and the walls, but that's not what he's talking about either. So they finally reveal that he's killed 123 people. And I was starting to lick my chops. I said, this guy was a serial killer and he's hiding out as a clerk at this totally. hotel. Totally. And I thought it was going to have a wicked sense of humor, but nope, it's just... He's a good shot, and he killed people in Vietnam. Yeah. That you know, you don't feel guilt for war deaths the way that 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 this guy was expressing the guilt for the bad things that he's done. And Derek is talking <laughs> from experience here. <laughs> I killed 132 people, and I know. No, I, like I, I mean, obviously you feel guilty if you kill people in a war, but that's what you're there to do, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm with you on that. I didn't stick to landing. It chickened out on some of the things that I thought could have made it. Um, a little bit more subversive. And I don't think it earned any, like it, there were all these sort of shocks when someone got killed suddenly or when, um, uh, say when the the, uh, the soul singer, I can't remember her name, but she... Uh, Darlene knocked, Sweet. You, Darlene Sweet. God, you are... I wrote it down, reti- I wrote it down. Okay, okay. <laughs> your ability to retain any information is still impressive. <laughs> when she knocks uh, Jeff Bridges out and you're like, oh, here we go, something interesting. But then it was, she just saw him... He, I, like, see, wait, I think wait, that I think that was wait, bullshit because wait, I think his back was turned. And how did she yeah, see him poison her drink? And when, when, she, when she knocked him out, I was like, "Oh, she couldn't have seen him poison the drink, so she did it for some other reason." There's something yeah, else going yeah, on, yeah. and the film kept on presenting these twists and, and shocks and made me lured me into believing there was something more going on, and there was never anything more going on. She just had seen him poisoning her drink, or like you know, putting the sleeper in her drink. You know, like it didn't earn any of those those moments. Yeah. It was it was. It, it felt like such amateurish, not, yeah. not on a production level. I thought it looked nice. Um, you know, like there was a nice atmosphere to it. But th- that atmosphere. And the hotel looked great. That atmosphere has been around <laughs> since Psycho, like yeah. Rainy Hotel. I reckon you know, he probably, after Cabin in the Woods, has been. Everyone's told him how 
talented he is and how yeah. good he is, and he started believing his own. And was he bullshit. the dr- creative drive behind Cabin in the Woods? Because well, what's his JJ or Joss Whedon was involved in that too, wasn't he? JJ yeah. Abrams, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but. Well, he was a director. I, th- I, mean, I think he was the, the writer. I don't know I don't if know. he's a bad director. I just think he believed his own hype and didn't do enough work on this. Because that happened it, to Derek. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's like when? I think it like I have never sold the that. other thing that was interesting with this film is it, it was referencing a time in history which I, you know, there was all these Watergate, you know, references, and then there were all these references to you know Charlie M- Charles Manson and stuff, and mm-hmm. like they had these kind of weird. Parallels. Which Tarantino was also doing next year. Yeah, well, uh, and so is someone else. Oh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter, the same guy same, is playing uh, yeah. uh, Charles Manson in both yeah. Mindhunter, oh, David really? Fincher TV show, and yeah. Tarantino's movie. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't under, like that. It seemed like it was trying to reference this time in history for a reason, and then it just kind of never followed through. Even, with even that videotape, uh, yeah, I got the that's with JFK. And like it was, it was just the same thing. Well, she, as well, that, if it was uh, JFK, the they wouldn't say, "Oh, I know him; he's dead now." That she'd be like, "Oh, that's JFK." It was so. I think JFK. so. Here's what I think they were yeah. doing with that. That's the Pulp Fiction briefcase. Um, yeah, th- exactly. Th- um, uh, MacGuffin, where you're basically like, you never find out what it is, you know. And like, like yeah, all that stuff is either really tired or totally intentional for the purposes of what I'm arguing he's trying to do, but just not executed quite skillfully enough. I'm just saying what he essentially maybe had a half cooked idea and then got cooked and believes it was a full cooked idea. Mm. And he's just a cooked <laughs> fool. I think it's fair. Look, like I said <laughs> at the start that my, my star rating was kind of dr- dropping as I went away from that review. I wrote it in the same night that I came home from it. So I, I should have um, given it 24 hours. Maybe <clears throat> there are some, like most of your reviews I post and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I can back this. And I, I hesitated with this one, Derek. But you, you know, hadn't seen it yet by the time you posted no, it, No, no. Uh, I saw it before you. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, I got okay. out of work early. It was the same <laughs> night that I went and saw Star is Born, and I actually saw it before you, and then you sent it through, and I was surprised by the score. It makes me think maybe the line and, you know, the, the different sides might have been about heaven and hell and about purgatory, but I just don't... Oh, never but mind. Even, I'm up to 10 now. 10 out of 10. <laughs> but even if it was, that's still that half-baked sort of like high school writing. Like, it's like, oh, and like... You know, that they make up after the fact. It's like, oh, okay, you know, Nevada can be heaven. And uh, like, it was, it just wasn't there. The, the, yeah. the, like, I kept on looking for it because of Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Cabin in the Woods is a good film. It's a great, you know, it's a great film. Great film, but it's not like the most amazing movie I've ever seen. But because it is a really but cool, it was interesting film. As well. yeah. 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 It's an original film and it's got some cool ideas. Yeah. And this is a strange follow up. Yeah. What do you think of Chris Hemsworth in it? He he didn't he yeah. wasn't charismatic miss. enough to pull mm. off that. He's kind of he's character. super hit and miss. Yeah. Sometimes he's great, and other yeah. times he's I, he, he, when he tries to do comedy. I think he thinks he's funnier than he is. I, I don't mean any disrespect, Chris. We know you're listening because I really <laughs> think you're great in other things. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I thought just didn't have the charisma. I also I really didn't understand why this was a movie. That's what I kept thinking while I was watching it. I was just like, as opposed to like a no, deodorant commercial or no, something. No, but like why that? wasn't it like a, why wasn't it like a Netflix series where it was just like every episode yeah, is directed towards one character and you understand one room, yeah. Why they are the way they're certainly are. long enough to be a short Netflix series. Yeah, because yeah. it would have pissed me off more if I'd invested like. Eight episodes or and nine episodes, found, yeah. and I was like, "Actually, no, this is shit." That happened to me with. I wasn't huge on Maniac, but like um, some of them. Oh no, God! I'm still watching I it. Love, I love. No, I don't Maniac. like it either. Yeah, but I uh, started off great, and then I think it's. Uh, I didn't even think it started off great. Oh, I, I thought it was all good. Mm. Yes, maybe one episode too many on Maniac, but with going back to this, it's like 
It's like some of the characters were just underwritten, like the the, the sisters, like yeah. they would have were. Like, like like why not? They just either needed more time to breathe or cut some of them out. I mean, it's it again. I'll make the the half the increasingly half-hearted argument that they're tropes and that they're familiar characters, they're stock characters to some degree for the purpose of kind of testing and prodding these these various narrative conventions, but. Like, look, the less, the more I talk about it, the less I am convinced of that. <laughs> I will say, I really, really like Cynthia Erivo, who is the soul singer, Darlene Sweet. I think she's got a huge amount of charisma. I'm really looking forward to her. And I said, I said this in the review. Uh, the new movie Widow is coming out next month, which is David Steve Crane. McQueen's follow up to 12 Years a Slave. Now he's so. a man I've never enjoyed any of his films. No. Okay. Really? Yep. I find he's all. I you didn't like all the masturbating really, and shame? Really? Oh, no. The <laughs> masturbating and shame was awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, shame. I, 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 I find his films very uh, technically proficient, very, very slick, and uh, that none of them have anything to say. At least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I love I find them quite empty. Shame's one of the best films I've seen in 10 years. Let's talk more about Maniac, though. You guys didn't like Maniac? Well, we... we I'm still watching it. Can't <laughs> talk about Maniac because we have to move on to our top three. Okay, oh, fair enough. Man. It's your podcast. <laughs> uh, it's our podcast. This is a group effort. You know, <laughs> it's what's called Maniac. John's Real Good Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, top three. Uh, Blakey, do you want to start and do you also want to explain it or should we make Derek explain it? Um, look, Derek is the you know custodian of... The top uh, three the top segment. Three, but I'll... Uh, <laughs> This one is complicated. It's the only one we ever remembers. Yeah. Is, there's like a five-word synopsis for this one. Uh, ensemble crime films. Uh, and That's Derek, it. That's the whole explanation. And, <laughs> and Derek wanted to make it um, non-Tarantino because he thought it would all be... Post-Tarantino and then... Well, not post, just not. You said post. Oh, did I? Yeah. Well, don't listen to what I, I said. I I did post. Well, no, post, no, well, I did not. Te- I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, but, but I, thought you didn't want to do, I thought you didn't want to exclude it. Well, John and I didn't want to discourage. Oh, no, No, I did any, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. Tarantino's on my list. Yeah, (laughs) as he's mine. So there. Um, So, yeah. Take us away, Blakey. So, yeah, uh, number three is The Departed, which is a very, very That was on my short list. Oh, my God, that's a great one. I remember, spoiler alert for The Departed, I remember the moment when Leo gets shot in that and I I had my mouth open for about... Two minutes straight, mm. I was just shocked. That really hit me. For Spoilers some. for the departed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mental image. Yeah, I thought you like that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's what, that was my um, cinema awakening. It's the best lift death since uh, the Untouchables, right? Yes. One of the Untouchables gets shot that, on that, a lift in the Untouchables, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, and then he, and the Untouchables is another overrated movie. Ah, oh. you're crazy. The Untouchables <laughs> is an overrated movie. Yes. Well. But the you French like film. the score from it. I know that. I do. Yes. Well done. Number two. Uh, number two for me is Pulp Fiction. Baby's Day Out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Uh, Pulp Fiction, yeah, is awesome and uh, deserves all the kudos that it ever gets. Here, here. It's fantastic. Um, and my number one is one of the best action films of all time, Heat. Um, oh, I yeah. didn't even think about I Heat. I thought about Heat too. Uh, Bank, that's, I always think about that bank robbery scene. In fact, I might go home and watch I, it I think that bank robbery scene elevates Heat. I think, I'm not saying it's bad. I think Heat is a good movie, really good movie. Yeah. But that bank robbery scene elevates that movie, and I think it gets elevated. That, <laughs> that is a film I desperately need to rewatch. I've only seen it once yeah. back in the day. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's awesome. That was me doing... Uh, Guns, yeah. anyone listening at home? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Derek. Okay, so I not only did I exclude Tarantino, I tried to exclude any film where I thought I could easily say who I thought the main character was. Right. And then... What? Yeah, yeah un- well, I'm ensemble. Gonna, I'm going to attempt so, to fight so, this. 
okay, the, the main character, right. the main character, or the main two characters. So the reason why I excluded Heat was I was like Pacino, De Niro. It's not the others are are lesser. So I kind of restricted my list from some obvious choices I would have included. I would have wanted to possibly include Fargo also, but I was like Marge Gunderson, main character. So anyway, uh, my number three. You referenced it earlier, John. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Only seen it once. Um, really? Yeah. That's awesome. Really, really liked it. Obviously, that was the the, the first two films Guy Ritchie made. Said established him as this kind of director, and kind of has been living it down ever since then. But uh, but Lockstock He's was the new Aladdin. Is he? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for that. Uh, so the um, trailer for that just came out. Has anyone watched? It? Yeah. No, it looks the same as the other Disney light. It looks just like the shitter version of the 90s Disney animated movies. Oh, yeah. That one's just perfect. Why would you come back to it? Oh, yeah. They're all perfect. You're well. perfect, mate. Um, so, the, so, yeah, the, I haven't se- I've only seen it that one time, but I thought it should make this list. My number two was a little bit afar a, a afield. It's a great film. I don't know how well it fits the theme, but it's City of God, the 2002 oh, Fernando Moraes film. In that. There's a yeah, what? The photographer dude. Yeah, the photographer is clearly the protagonist. Okay, so this is another film I haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. It's then, one of my favorite. Then films Fargo. Then Fargo. No, no. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, actually, I had a hard time coming up with this list. I don't know why, because of all the random rules I assigned myself. My number one. <laughs> we didn't ask him to do that. I like it. I should not have any objections from you guys. I hope on you my lost sleep one, over this. By the way. <laughs> no, I did it all at work today. Uh, don't, I hope my boss is not listening. Um, <laughs> My, number, you are, Chris my, <laughs> my boss's name is actually Chris. Um, the not Hemsworth though. The number one. I shouldn't get any arguments. L.A. Confidential. Oh what? <laughs> Who's the protagonist? There's three in that? main characters in it, and I thought that Surely was it's enough. Film. <laughs> I rewatched that movie recently. So oh, it's, so great movie. it's fantastic. Yeah. I at the time it came out, I I didn't like it as much because I was in the Titanic camp, which I still like Titanic quite a bit. But you remember those are the two that everybody everybody. Everybody said LA Confidential should have won Best Picture that year in '97, and I was too young. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't remember. You guys were you, you guys were <laughs> in, your, in your nappies. You were in your nappies <laughs> at that <laughs> time. Um, <laughs> Stop wearing my nappies, man. In any case, uh, uh, I love I love that film, and that's my number one. Um, okay, well, my top three. I'm going to change it on this on the fly. Okay, I have no idea why this was in it. I'm kicking it out. JFK was in there for some reason. I struggled with this one as well. Uh, yeah, JFK. It was that. a crime. It was a crime. Yeah, they committed a crime know, when they shot him. Know, they, that's not legal to kill people like that. Uh, this yeah. is my podcast now, Rona. <laughs> okay, my number three is the Killing, the Stanley Kubrick movie. Uh, uh, you haven't seen it, yeah? Oh, really yeah, cool movie. No, yeah. Uh, my number two. Oh, I know I'm not allowed to do this, but I'm going to do two: Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, because I think Pulp Fiction is a better movie, but I like Reservoir Dogs. Like Res- I prefer Reservoir. Dogs. Reservoir Dogs yeah. is more strictly an ensemble film, I would argue. Yeah. than Pulp Fiction is. Um, yeah. And I think, but Pulp Fiction is 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 really something inc- incredible. But I, I just I, yeah. I, I prefer watching Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And my number one, I'm just going to steal from you is. What was your number one? LA Confidential. <laughs> well, the funny thing is the three main characters, none of them are actually criminals, but I seem to work in the context. Rusty's of is a criminal. He's a cop. Yeah, but he, he breaks the rules a lot in that He's film. He's a bad cop. He's a bad cop. That's yeah. breaking the law, yeah. baby. Um, <laughs> Not as bad of a cop as uh, as um, James Cromwell, but you know. Yeah. James Cromwell's Irish accent really fluctuates in that movie. Oh, it does it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I noticed that too. Yeah. 
Um, I feel like you had a different top three in there. You just changed it all. I didn't. JFK was the only one in there that didn't make the final. <laughs> JFK. I know. I know. Yeah. It wasn't ensemble films. There were there weren't <laughs> any really that jumped out to me. I thought that the part of those. Were it was harder than I expected it to be. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Well, final thoughts on what movie are we talking? Bad Times at Al Royale. <laughs> um. I'll go back and edit my review, and you can post it tomorrow. Perfect. Blakey. Uh, watch Maniac. It's great. <laughs> and I have no final thoughts. <laughs> uh, this has been a really good podcast. Thank you, Derek. You are welcome. And thank you, Blakey. Thank you, Ron Johnson. I'm John Roback, and you already know that you've been listening to the Real Good Podcast because I said it a moment ago. For more stuff on film, reviews, podcasts, trailers, videos, and more stuff on the Real Good Film Festival, which is going to be happening next March. March! Very good, Derek. <laughs> Go to realgood.com.au. That's real with two E's. Two O's. Thank you. <laughs>